everybody, welcome back all to right, the Tales of Red Arms. Give it your all! I'm your host, Justin. We'll we'll the 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 jumping into chapter 35. The last chapter freeing the Aeolman named Gaul from his cage. And they fought off like 10 or 12 white cloaks. And then as Perrin was leaving, since Gaul went his own way after he told him to go to Tyr for He Who Comes at the Dawn, um, Perrin notices uh, a girl's skirts that are uh, divided for riding and goes to chase after her, runs into Lan, Lan questions like, what's going on? Is this your doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, well, we got to get out of here. So head back to the place. We're leaving now. We got to find a ship. And here we are with Lan, who has really long legs, is out distancing Perrin. And as Perrin gets inside of the inn, Lan's already going up the stairs and seeming like he's got no rush in the world. Which obviously if he's running and he's rushing, 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 everyone's going to be like, what's going on? What's going on? And they get become, you know. Ca or not cautious, uh, interested, intrigued, whatever. And they go stupid around and be like, oh, now there's a whole bunch of white cloaks dead and the Aiel's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Aiel men, I guess, would be probably the term. So people are asking Orban again to tell it again. He's like, all right, they lay an am ambush close beside the road we traveled and an ambush I did not expect so close to Remen. Screaming, which is the first rule. They don't scream. Um, they rushed upon us. Crowding brush, you know, and the breadth they were in our mists, their spears stabbing, slaying two of my best men and one of Gans immediately. I, I knew Aiel when I saw them. He never saw Aiel in his life. Um, and then Perrin's just like, well, Orban knows him now. But then, you know, Moraine's doors got voices of land, Moraine probably going at it. And he's like, I don't want to know what she's talking about. So he starts heading down the hallway and pokes his head into Loyal's room. Now, we get a little description about this Ogier bed, which is really cool. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful description. It's a, a low, massive thing, twice as long and half as wide as any human bed. Now, I think they meant half again as wide as any human bed. Because a human bed's, like, a, a typical place, you'd probably get a full-size bed or a twin bed at these places, depending on where you're staying. An ogier would fill up a full-size bed and then some, so half of that, I think that was just a, a typo, is it's supposed to be half again as wide as any human bed. In other words, take a human bed, cut it in half, and add that to the bed, and then that's how much, that's how big. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty good-sized bed. Uh, it wouldn't make sense to make it smaller. Um, but it takes up much of the room, again, couldn't be half as, half as wide and be <laughs> somehow magically take up the room um but he remembers that loyal said something about it being sung wood and we went over sung wood in the previous chapter so um basically it's grown into the form that's the the short version of it and he might admire the flowing curves that make it seem as if the bed had somehow grown where it stood which is basically what sung wood is and ogier really must have stopped in remnant sometime in the past for the innkeeper had also found a wooden armchair that fit loyal and filled it with cushions and ogier and Loyal was comfortably just chilling out in that 
um, and his shirt and breeches. Just, you know, checking out this uh, large cloth-bound book on his arm, on the arm of the chair and running in it. And Paris just like, we're leaving! And Lil's like, Bleh! And almost, you know, dropping his ink bottle in the book. He's like, leaving? We only just arrived. He's like, yep, and we're leaving. <laughs> Meet us in the stable as quickly as you can. Don't let anyone see you go. I think there's a back stair that runs down by the kitchen. And he knows this, not because he's used it, but because the smells from the kitchen... And also, it's, I mean, it's pretty typical for a lot of places because if somebody orders food directly to their rooms, you could get it to their rooms by going up these back stairwell without having to bother everyone. And uh, so they're like, okay. He takes off and as Ogier, you know, looks at him and just like, oh, but why? And parents are like, white cloaks, tell you more later and disappears. And he hadn't even unpacked. He hadn't sat on the bed. He hadn't done anything, really, in the room. Hadn't used the candles. Nothing. And he hadn't splashed any water in the cracked basin of the washstand. Just nothing. And he's like, well, I must have known I would not be staying. I don't seem to leave any mark behind me of late. And he's like, well, you left a mark of a bunch of white cloaks and an yield out. So there's that. <laughs> Um, but then, you know, he finds the narrow stair at the back, which is what he figured would be there and runs past the kitchen and he looked cautiously into the kitchen and there's a spit dog, which I had no idea what a spit dog was. Cause I always thought spit dogs are just the dogs that like guarded the spit, but apparently a spit dog is actually, um, it's like a giant hamster cage for dogs. <laughs> That's essentially what it is. And it's basically the wheel is attached to the the spit and as the dog walks in the wheel it essentially rotates the spit now i feel like a dog would move too fast so i'm not sure how this would work without just spitting it never endingly because i think you're supposed to do like a, a slow rotation on the spit but dogs don't like i mean i guess if they're walking maybe but Dogs usually get really excited and stuff, so they'll just run really fast, or they'll move at a, at a quicker pace, which is going to make the, the, the spit rotate a little too fast. So I don't even know how this works, but it, the whole meaning of a spit dog makes a little bit more sense now. The spit dog's trotting in his wicker wheel, and um, it's got a whole bunch of different meats on it and whatnot. But there's no cooks, nobody but the dog, which means that they're all out talking to or listening to Orban. Um, but he finds the stable, and it's a pretty big one. Basically, uh, he's heading out there. I guess <laughs> there's a lot of descriptions, but he he's hanging out in there, and he gets approached by a stableman, and basically he's trying to figure out like who a parent is like how how can you order me to get you a bunch of stuff who are you and you know all the questions he's asking is like who's your master what are you doing all bundled up to travel in the middle of the night did master furlan know he was sneaking off like this and what do you have hidden in the saddlebags what's wrong with your eyes are you sick you know all the, all the typical questions you ask people you know then a coin flips in the air behind Perrin, and it's gold, and the stableman snags it, bites it, 
and lands like saddle them. And his his voice is soft, but cold as iron is soft. And Stavum, you know, bows and rushes off to make the horses ready. Moran and Loyal came in the stable just as they could take up their reins. And then they're all leading their horses behind Lan down the street. And Loyal quietly says to uh, Perrin, he's like, you know, this brings back memories, doesn't it? And Perrin's like, keep your voice down. What memories? And the, Loyal somehow managed to actually lower his voice, even though it's still pretty loud. He's like, well, it's just like old times, sneaking away in the night with enemies behind us. Maybe enemies ahead. You know, danger in the air. The cold tang of adventure. And Perrin frowns over at Loyal beyond the stepper saddle. And he's like, yeah, his eyes cleared the saddle and Loyal stood head and shoulders above the other side of it. So it's easy to see him. He's like, what are you talking about? I believe you actually are coming to like danger. You must be crazy, Loyal. He's like, hey, I'm just fixing the mood in my head. Kind of like formally and maybe a little defensive. You know, for my book, I have to put it all in. I'm, I believe I'm coming to like this, this adventuring. Of course I am. His ears give two violent twitches, which I love about his ears. It's great. He's like, I have to like it if I wish to write of it. I'm like, not necessarily, but I can understand the point. And Perrin shakes his head. He's like, okay, whatever. But then they show up at the um, the barge ferry area, and it's a bit dark, and there's a couple ships and whatnot, but there's some lantern lights, people moving around the dock, and we have a two-masted vessel, and the main smells are just tar and rope, you know, your typical smells, but lots of fish smells as well. So Lan finds the captain, a short, slight man with an odd way of holding his head tilted to one side while he listened. And after they bargained and everything, the booms and slings rigged the hoist, bring the horses aboard, horses aboard. Wow, I almost ruined that one. Hoises aboard. <laughs> uh, I can have fun at myself and my expense. So Perrin, you know, keeps a close eye on the horses, talking to them. Horses don't have much tolerance for the unusual and being lifted into the air. Typically are, but even the water stallion seems soothed by his murmurs. Lan gives gold to the captain and silver to the two sailors who ran off to the warehouse. Now, I like this. Who ran barefoot to a warehouse. I'm like, I thought we could just assume the sailors are barefoot because that's usually what they are. But he always adds these little details like who ran barefoot instead of who ran to a warehouse. It's just that one extra word. He's trying to get his word count in, I suppose. But it, it's an interesting, fun little detail that doesn't need to be there. But it, it helps also build it because it's like sailors don't wear boots. Sailors don't wear all that stuff like they're they wear nothing on their feet. They build up massive calluses and it helps them get all over the place really fast. Don't have to worry about anything. And it's it's a, a typical trope. The only person who might wear boots is like the captain or the higher ranked crew who don't do any of the actual manual labor. They're more of, like, the face of, of the uh, ship and whatnot. But, anyway. Sorry. A little small, enjoyable rant. <laughs> but then there's more crewmen, you know, bringing the the horses between the masts and a little pen made of rope. And they're going to like, oh, we're going to have to clean this mess up. Blah, 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 blah. And parents like, I don't think anybody's supposed to hear this, but I can hear it. Because my ears are really good. And the men just are not used to horses. Well, it's like, well, yeah, they're on a ship. They're not They're not the cavalry. 
But the Snow Goose, the name of the ship, is ready to say, set sail uh, in a very short time. And it's a little bit, of, just slightly ahead of what the captain, his name is James Adara, had actually originally planned. So land takes Moraine below as the lines are cast, and Loyal follows, a bit yawning, but Perrin stays by the railing near the bow. And every time Loyal yawns, it pretty much summons one of Perrin's. He wonders if the snow goose could outrun wolves down the river, outrun dreams, which is obviously foolish. And, I mean, it's foolish because to outrun the, the wolves down the river is like, well, yeah, one group of wolves, but you just run into another group of wolves. Um, outrun dreams, which obviously will follow you everywhere. But then the men keep readying and everything. But as the last line was tossed ashore, seized by the dockman, a girl in narrow, divided skirts bursts out of the shadows between two warehouses and with a bundle in her arms and a dark cloak streaming behind her. She leaped onto the deck just as the men at the sweeps just pushed off. Adara bristled at the tiller and she calmly set her down her bundle and said, Hey, I'm going to take passage down river. Oh, as far as he's going, pointing at Perrin. And he's like, I've got no objections to sleeping on deck. Cold and wet do not bother me. Then a little bit of bargaining goes through, and then she passes over three silver marks, frowning at the copper she gets back. I don't know what she was expecting. Like, you gave... Maybe she was expecting, like, a silver pence or something. I don't know. Um, stuffs them into her purse. Her purse. <laughs> I, I, I do find it funny because in these types of settings, like a fantasy, it's called a purse. Like, it's a money purse. That's, that's what it is. But... Knowing the character, I'm just assuming it's like a modern day purse. <laughs> it's just like pulling out her little wallet, popping it open daintily and pulling out money and stuff and then putting it in her purse. Then I'm thinking, oh, wait, everyone has purses in this universe because the word purse means different things because all it means is it's a bag that holds money, which is what a purse is in modern times. It's just in modern times they have like the quote unquote man purse and then you have women's purses where typically men have just bags and women have purses and it's just kind of this funny little word that creates an image in my head that's a little weird but um i mean it's kind of funny knowing her name and its meaning and uh, i don't know it's just it, it's a funny concept in my head um but after that she comes and stands by Perrin. she's like we you get a little bit of a details on some details about her. So she has an herbal scent to her, light and fresh and clean. I really think we could have removed an Anne and added a comma. Um, but then she has dark, tilted eyes regarding him over high cheekbones, then turn to look back toward the shore. So I've been trying to learn about tilted eyes. Um, and considering my wife is a uh, contact lens specialist at an optometry, it's kind of easy to find out. But basically, <laughs> I don't want to say standard eyes, but the typical eye that people see is where basically your tear ducts to the opposite side of your eye, which is where your eye would basically push tears out the outside or the inside. When they are lined up, it's just a standard eye. But if it's where the outside is higher than the inside where your tear duct is, 
um, that would be what you consider tilted eye. It could technically tilt the opposite way, but it's less common. That's like super, super rare. And considering um, her nationality and that it's a normal thing, it's tilted from the outside by going up on the outside and staying where it is in the normal in the middle. So it's it's tilted, I guess, down inwards rather than upwards, which would have a different effect look, which would look really silly, honestly. Um, it It's a very typical of like an exotic eye that you'd see in movies or whatever, where they have like all the eyeliner on them and everything. And it's just like the little, I guess makeup or whatever is kind of like hooking it up so it looks kind of like a bird's eye that's kind of what it is it's just when it's slightly higher that's all it takes for it to be tilted but it's an interesting little detail that helps you build an image of this girl and she has high cheekbones which i mean people do so oh well <laughs> and she's about his age so she's about 19 20 i think she'd probably be 20 this time due to the time jumps and how much it's taken time-wise. Um, but he can't decide if her nose fit her face or dominated it. In other words, she's got this big nose. Is it is it a big nose or is it just right? But he thinks to himself, like, you're a fool, paranoid Barra. Why would <laughs> why care what she looks like? And I'm like, well, I mean, it's okay to, like, find somebody attractive or something. Like, that's how romances typically start. Um... But he's thinking, like, why would I care? And and here's the thing, is that he's a very careful, cautious person, right? And all that jazz. And after the last, I think it was the last chapter, it might have been the chapter before, where he was thinking about Moraine, like a uh, village girl. And it's like, you did the same thing with Egwene and everything, so it, it's, it's something you've done with Egwene, Moraine, and potentially some other girls in the Two Rivers. What's so wrong about looking at this girl who apparently is exotic because you're not exactly super familiar with dark tilted eyes um and you seem to be dealing with this nose to face concept and you're not sure like if you like it or not is her nose too big or is it just right what kind of nose is it you learn more about her as you go on but it's this he's trying to figure out why he should care. And it's just like, well, why wouldn't you? I mean, it's how you de determine what you yourself find as attractive in a woman or whatever. And considering you're single, I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, obviously you're going on this adventure. You've got the dark one chasing you and all those other details, but eh, minute details. Why not just be, Hey, I'm interested. Like this is intriguing to me, but now they're about more closer into the middle or closer into the river to where it's going to be a normal traveling rather than up against the wall. And she's like, well, I never expected to head back to Ilion as soon as this. And her voice is high and she had a flat way of speaking, but it wasn't unpleasant. So she has a higher pitch voice and she kind of speaks at a normal flat pace. What I imagine my voice sounds like. Um... And it's not unpleasant, it's just kind of just there. And it just talks like a straight line the entire time. It doesn't go up, it doesn't go down. It just stays at the same pace the entire time. In other words, it's not very musical. 
Um, she's like, well, you are going to Ilion, aren't you? And he, he tightens his mouth, and he's like, oh, don't sulk. You left quite a mess back there, you and that Ailman. The uproar, the uproar was beginning when I left, and he's surprised that she didn't tell them. And he's like, oh, the townsmen think the Ailman chewed through the chain or broke it with his bare hands. They had not decided which one I left. And then she makes a sound suspiciously like a giggle. And he's like, Orban was quite loud in his disgust that his wounds would keep him from hunting down the Ailman personally, which I gotta admit, it was funny. So Perrin's like, I bet if he ever sees an Aeol again, he's going to bloody soil himself. But he, you know, clears his throat and sorry, because, you know, bad language and all that. Coarse language. And she's like, oh, I don't know about that. And he's like, I saw Jehenna during the winter, or saw him in Jehenna during the winter. Jehenna was the capital of uh, Giladon. And um, he's like, he fought four men together, killed two, and made the other two yield. Of course, he started the fight, so it takes away from it, but they knew what they were doing. He did not pick a fight with those who could not defend themselves, but he's still a fool. And he has these weird ideas about the Great Blackwood, which some call the Forest of Shadows. Have you ever heard of it? And he looks at her from the corner of his eyes. It's like, she's, she speaks of fighting and killing as calmly as another woman might speak of baking. <laughs> which I, I did think was funny. Um... He had never heard of any great Blackwood, but the Forest of Shadows lays just south of the two rivers. And he's like, are you following me? You were staring at me back at the inn, and why? Why didn't you tell them what you saw? And he's, she just kind of stares ahead at the river, and he's like, you know, an Ogier is obviously an Ogier. And the other two are much more or were not much more difficult to figure out, you know. I managed to get a better look inside of Lady Alice's hood than Orban did, and her face makes that stone-faced fellow a warder. Light burn me if I'd want that one angry with me. Does he always look like that, or did he just eat a rock for his last meal? But anyway, that left only you, and I don't like things I can't, cannot account for. And he's, he's thinking again, like, about tossing her over the side. Actually, seriously this time. But Redmond was now just a blotch of light well behind them in the darkness, and there's no idea of, like, how far it is to shore. But she seems to take a silence as to going on. She's so like, well, so there I have a... Uh, drops her voice, and he's like, I said die, a warder in an ogier, and you. And I'm like, wait, you just said he's a warder. If you say that out loud, obviously that picks out what she is. But okay, whatever. <clears throat> and a countryman, by the first look at you, and then her tilted eyes rose up to study his yellow ones and he refused to look away and she smiles it's like only you free a caged Ailman, held a long talk with them then help him chop up a dozen white cloaks into sausage i assume you do this regularly <laughs> oh, this would be a great conversation to be next to it's like you certainly looked as if you were doing nothing out of the ordinary for you now i found another typo and it kind of annoyed me because it says I sent something. And it's like, it's not sent. It's I sense something strange in a party. It's it's something they missed. And the, unfortunately, the editing was not combed through thoroughly enough. Um, no offense to Harriet. Something strange in a party of travelers such as yours. And strange trails are what hunters look for. He blinks and he's like, a hunter? You? You can't be a hunter. You're a girl. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm assuming 
it's the time and place that women who fight, women who adventure, are more or less rarity. Like a massive rarity. Like it's it's a very what you would expect from ancient world, like Middle Ages, Dark Ages kind of territory in terms of like how the culture would be. I mean, even up to the Renaissance and beyond, it's very rare to find like female soldiers and the culture being a constant. So it seeing this happen out of order is just like, well, of course not. But also take into consideration that Perrin comes from a backwater country area and it's unlikely that he would come across female adventurers, female warriors in his own village. And all he would know is about the stories. And there's obviously like Brigida and Silverbow and all that jazz. But those are heroes of the legend and they were also extremely rare. It wasn't like there was an entire platoon or battalion of uh, warriors in every nation that were well known and you could just be like, yeah, I know I know who you're talking about. So, take it with what it is, I suppose. But her smile becomes so innocent that he almost walked away from her, but then she steps back, makes a flourish with each hand, and then she's holding two knives neatly. Just like Tom Marilyn could have done. But then, one of the men at the sweeps made a choking sound, two others stumbled, sweeps thrashed and tangled, and the snow <laughs> slurched. <laughs> By that time, the black-haired girl had the knives disappear again, as the captain was shouting everybody to sh set things right. She's like, nimble fingers and nimble wits will take you a good deal further than sword and muscles. Sharp eyes help, as well, but fortunately, I have these things. And parents like, and modesty as well, <laughs> although she doesn't seem to notice. She's like, I took the oath and received the blessing in the great square of Tamaz in Ilion. Perhaps I was the youngest, but in that crowd, with all the trumpets, drum cymbals, and shouting, a six-year-old could have taken the oath. No one would have noticed. There were over a thousand of us, perhaps two, and every one with an idea where to find the Horn of Valir. I have mine. It still may be the right one, but no hunter can afford to pass up a strange trail. The Horn will certainly lie at the end of a strange trail. And I have never seen any stranger than the trail you guys make. Where are you headed? Ilion? Somewhere else? And he goes, what was your idea? Where the horn is? And he's like, in his head, he's like, oh, safe in Tarvalon, I hope. But light send I never see it again. You think it's in Giladon? She frowns at him. And he had the feeling she did not give up a cent when she had raised it. But he was ready to raise any side trails as he would have to. And he's like, have you heard of Manetherin? And he nearly chokes. He's like, I've heard of it. I'm going to read this next part. It's a historical blurb, so. Every queen of Manetherin was an Aes Sedai, and the king, the warder, bound to her. I can't imagine a place like that. But that is what the books say. It was a large land, most of Andor and Gilidon, and more besides. But the capital, the city itself, was in the mountains of mist. That is where I think the horn is. Unless you four lead me to it. His hackles stirred. She was lecturing him as if he were an untaught village lout. You'll not find the horn or Manetherin. The city was destroyed during the Trolloc Wars, when the last queen drew too much of the one power to destroy the dreadlords who had killed her husband. 
Moraine had told him the names of that king and queen, but he did not remember them. Not in Manetherin, farm boy, she said calmly. Although a land such as that would make a good hiding place. But there were other nations, other cities in the Mountains of Mist, so old that not even an Sedai remember them. And think of all those stories about it being bad luck to enter the mountains. What better place for the horn to be hidden than in one of those forgotten cities? I have heard stories of something being hidden in the mountains. Would she believe him? He had never been good at lying. The stories did not say what, but it's supposed to be the greatest treasure in the world. So maybe it's the horn. But the mountains of mist stretch for hundreds of leagues. If you are going to find it, you should not waste your time following us. You'll need it all to find the horn before Orban and Gan. I told you, those two have some strange idea. The horn is hidden in the great Blackwood. She smiled up at him. Her mouth was not too big at all when she smiled. I told you, a hunter has to follow strange trails. You were lucky Orban and Gan were injured fighting all those Ayumen, or they might as well be aboard too. At least I will not get in your way, or try to take over, or pick a fight with the warder. So, eh, basically she thinks that all this is going to happen in, you know, the Manetheran territories, probably the Mountains of Mist where they had some other... Um, cities and other portions of Manetherin that had died off. But she's determined to stay with them. And while he gives her kind of like the rundown of like, well, it's Manetherin, blah, blah, blah. You're not going to find this. You're not going to find that. We still get these little itty bitty pieces of essentially, you know, little details about or I guess that's the details. Well, I guess they are details, but like the the little bit of the refresher course on what Moraine basically told the villagers um, in the first book when she basically was telling them about Manethra, their Manetheran, uh heritage and the kind of people they used to be, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But now he's trying to throw her off the trail or their trail specifically by saying, Oh, you better, you better go get it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge before somebody else does. But she's like, Oh, I'm not going to get in your way or anything. And he's, he just kind of like, we're just travelers on our way to alien girl. What is your name? If I have to share the ship with you for days, yeah, I can't keep calling you girl. You could. She's like, I call myself Mandarb. But then he, he just like bursts out laughing those tilted eyes regarded him with heat. It's like, I will teach you something, farm boy. In the old tongue, Mandar means blade. It's a name worthy of a hunter of the horn. But he manages to get his laughter under control and not wheeze very much when he points to the rope pen and he's like, you see the black stallion? His name is Mandarb. <laughs> but the heat leaves her eyes and spots of color, because she's embarrassed, blooms on her cheek. It's like, oh. <laughs> oh. It's like, I was born Zareen Bashir, but Zareen is no name for a hunter. 
In the stories, hunters have names like Rogash or Rogash Eagle Eye. I keep tuck away Zareen Bashir for later. Y'all need that. And um, she looks so crestfallen. And he's like, well, I like the name Zareen. It suits you. But then the heat bursts back in her eyes again. Tuck that away for later, too, because there's an explanation. And he's like, hey, you know, she, but he thinks for a second that she's going to produce one of the knives. And he's like, hey, it's late. I'm going to go sleep. So he turns his back and Perkle's running across his, soul, his shoulders and the crewmen are still going up and down working the sweeps. And he's like, fool, the girl wouldn't stick a knife in me. Not with all these people watching, would she? I mean, literally, it's the easiest thing in the world if you had some plan. It's like, I'm going to jump on a ship, murder somebody, then jump in the water. Who's going to stop me? They're going to be downriver by a long shot, well before anything happens. But she calls out to him. He's like, farm boy, perhaps I will call myself Fail. My mother used to, or my mother, my father used to call me that when I was little. It means falcon. And he stiffens so much, he almost misses the step of the ladder. And he's like, oh, it's just pure coincidence. See if anybody remembers that reference. But he goes down without looking back at her. And he's like, it gotta be a coincidence. And the passageway is dark, but there's enough moonlight go pretty much coming through that basically lets him make his way. Someone's snoring loudly in the cabin, but he's in his head going, Min, why did you have to go seeing things? <laughs> So now he's not sure what he's thinking. Like, oh no, what's what? What do I make up of all of this? Like, is this something that is active to Min's viewings? Is it something that has nothing to do with Min's viewings? Like, there's 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 not a whole lot he's sure about, and now he's even less sure about the things he was sure about, and he's is. It's got to be a coincidence. It has to be a coincidence. I'm like, there's no coincidences in a Teferan's life. It's literally just a Teferan. So. But yeah, that would be where it is. So, and, and anybody is uh, curious, I guess I should say, is anyone have a theory on what's expected to happen from this new development. Um, is she going to stay with him a long time? Is she going to stay with him just until something happens? Will something pull her off the trail? Will she see something more weird and wacky than this group of four? What, what do you think is going to happen with that? Um, is the relevance of men's viewing a legitimate thing? Is it a long-term thing? Is it a short-term thing? Is it something that is dangerous for Perrin? What do you think it might be? Um, I'd love to hear your guys' comments. Um, I really do wish these podcasts had comment sections because then I would just, like, just type it in. But unfortunately, we're relegated to Twitter, Facebook, and my personal email. Um, so you can reach out to me on Facebook, which is Tales of a Red Arm. You can also reach out on... Um, Twitter, which is at Tales of a Red Arm. Or you can reach out to me directly, which is Tales of a Red Arm at gmail.com. Um, love to hear what you guys are thinking. If you guys like it, if you hate it, you know, uh, hate mail is just as much fun to get as not hate mail. It's not like I don't, I don't get fan mail. Let's put it that way. 
<laughs> but um, if you guys have any theories or anything fun, I'd love to hear about your thoughts. So keep me in the loop on that. But the next chapter is chapter 36. It's going to be a continuation of where we just left off, but with a little bit of a twist. So hopefully you guys will join me for that as well. I'm um, looking forward to getting further and further into the book because pretty much everyone's favorite book is book four and we're book three. We're halfway through. So like by the time we get to book four, everything starts to really snowball hard. But this is still has a really cool ending to this book. All the books have really good endings to them, um, depending on what you define as a good ending. I prefer... I, I don't mind slow points, because the slow points build up the excitement for the really exciting parts. Because if you just have excitement, 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 it's not really that exciting because all you ever feel is excitement, which becomes standard, which means that excitement is no longer exciting. It's just the norm. So I like the ups and downs. I like sometimes when they build up the characters so much that when something happens, it gets big. So I know people think of the slog there. I don't see a slog in the series. I just see character development, but depends on you and how you see things. But hopefully you'll enjoy it regardless. But yeah, chapter 36 is up next and I hope you guys will join me for that wonderful adventure until then we drink all night and dance all day and on the girls will spend our pay and when we're done then we'll away to dance with jack of the shadows we'll toss the dice however they fall and snuggle the girls be they short or tall and follow young matt wherever he goes to dance with jack of the shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hog the mags, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows